Hi again. Welcome to the Physiology by Physio podcast. Uh, my name is Greg Rodden, and I'll be your host. So one of my fellow conspirators at Inside the Boards, uh, Patrick Beeman, talked me into producing a bonus episode that kind of falls in line with the rest of the content that'll be currently airing with our ITB Study Smarter series. So in this bonus episode, we'll cover some of the basic features of skeletal physiology, uh, osteoblast versus osteoclast functions, and the key factors that influence bone balance. So are you feeling ready for it? All right, let's go. Let's get started with the content of this episode by discussing the different anatomic features of bone. So generally, bones have two main parts, the inner trabecular slash cancellous slash spongy appearing uh, medullary portion. Um, so trabecular, cancellous, spongy, all referring to the same thing. And the outer uh, lamellar slash compact slash cortical portion, uh, again, lamellar and compact referring to the same thing, and cortical as well. So the medullary trabecular portion, or the inner portion, uh, appears spongy because it has pores in it that contain hematopoietic stem cells and or fat. Uh, the cortical lamellar portion develops in hard organized layers, uh, hence the term lamellar bone or layered bone. Uh, these layers form around central haversion canals and perforating canals, which have uh, blood vessels, nerves, and lymphatics coursing through them. Uh, when bone is first developing embryologically or after a fracture, a more temporary form of bone is produced called woven bone, which is more of a disorganized array, which will later be replaced by more mature, organized bony structures. So those are kind of the three main types of bone. Uh, compact bone or lamellar bone, um, which is kind of in the outer cortical portion. Uh, trabecular or spongy bone, which is usually in the inner portion. And um, also woven bone, which is basically immature bone that's just being laid down. So trying to describe the microanatomy of bone is just probably not the best idea for a podcast. I'd recommend you Google something like the Haversion Canal System uh, to get an idea of that kind of histology. Uh, thankfully, those details of bone histology really aren't that high yield for the boards. So let's discuss some of the higher yield physiology of the skeletal system, uh, starting with the primary cell types of bone. So what are the primary cell types that work together to form bone? Well, it's the osteoblasts, the osteocytes, and the osteoclasts. Uh, we know that the builders of bone are called osteoblasts, and the osteoblasts will eventually become osteocytes uh, when they've trapped themselves in their own layer of bone that they built. Osteocytes can then communicate with other osteocytes in the osteon by gap junctions in their cytoplasmic processes. So in contrast to the osteoblasts, the cells that reabsorb bone as a part of the remodeling process are called osteoclasts. Uh, I remember this by saying that osteoblasts are bone builders, while osteoclasts claw at bone. And it's important to remember that the balance of osteoblast building and osteoclast clawing is what determines whether we have net bone growth or net bone resorption, or positive bone balance or negative bone balance. Uh, it's also important to remember that remodeling is constantly taking place. Bone isn't a static tissue. It's highly metabolically active. So now let's discuss these cell types a little bit further. So our osteoblasts are our bone builders, right? So where embryologically do these osteoblasts come from? Well, osteoblasts are derived from mesenchymal stem cells, which become osteoprogenitor cells. And in mature bone, these osteoblasts hang out along the building surfaces, in the periosteum and the endosteum. 
So what are the two main products of osteoblasts that contribute to the bony structure? Well, they produce osteoid and hydroxyapatite for the bony extracellular matrix. So what is osteoid? Well, osteoid is a substance that contains type 1 collagen and other proteins and proteoglycans. Uh, then they reinforce the proteinaceous osteoid with hydroxyapatite. Uh, hydroxyapatite is made of calcium phosphate crystals. And the osteoblasts catalyze this process, which pulls the calcium and phosphate out of solution into a stable crystal in a process referred to as mineralization. So osteoblasts produce both the proteinaceous osteoid and the hydroxyapatite that are the primary extracellular substance of bone. The combination of strong osteoid proteins like type 1 collagen, along with the crystalline hydroxyapatite, provides bone its mixture of both flexibility and rigidity, uh, such that bone can withstand significant loading forces, shearing and twisting without fracture. All right, everybody, this is Greg from Inside the Boards, and I'd like to cut in here and give a quick shout out to our sponsor for this episode, which is Physio. If you haven't figured this part out yet, we at Inside the Boards really do love what the guys at Physio are doing for the scene of medical education. Uh, first off, they produce this fantastic library of easy-to-consume videos, which cover everything you need to know about physiology for your classes and for the boards. But then they didn't stop there. They went on to produce two more libraries of rock-solid instruction for biochem and biostats, and their microbiology videos are currently in the works. So they're just super busy, and they're getting it done. But in creating new content, they didn't just like stay in their comfort zone with the old 15-minute long whiteboard-style video. No, 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 no. At Physio, they understand that while some topics are best learned by focusing on the underlying process, other topics will just require brute force memorization. So to meet the needs of their learners, the guys at Physio came up with a cool new hybridized learning style that includes both Pathoma-style whiteboard videos integrated together with sketchy-style picture mnemonics. And by seamlessly integrating these two tried-and-true teaching tools, Physio will help you to master med school. Make sure you stick around for the rest of the episode so that you can hear about the exclusive deal that we at ITB got for you, the listener. And now, back to the show. So I mentioned that type 1 collagen is one of the main components of osteoid. Uh, let's talk about some of the basics of collagen now. Uh, can you recall the three primary amino acids that make up collagen? Well, there's glycine, proline, and lysine. Uh, much of collagen's amino acid sequence has glycine as every third amino acid in repeating sequences like glycine XY, where the X and Y are usually proline or lysine. And what's special about proline and lysine in collagen? Well, we modify them with hydroxylation, uh, such that we form hydroxyproline and hydroxylysine. And what water-soluble vitamin does this process require? Uh, vitamin C, which is a cofactor for prolyl hydroxylase and lysyl hydroxylase, those key steps of hydroxylation of proline and lysine. And why do we modify proline and lysine? Well, these and other modifications like glycosylation help collagen molecules to form into triple helices together, basically coming together to form these strong molecular ropes. Then, collagen, technically called procollagen at this point, will be exported from the cell, and once outside of the cell, the ends of the procollagen are cut off, resulting in tropocollagen that assembles itself into fibrils. 
and then these collagen fibrils will be covalently linked by the enzyme known as lysyl oxidase, which is a copper-dependent enzyme that covalently links collagen fibrils together at their hydroxylysine and lysine residues. And this linkage helps to form strong collagen fibers with tremendous tensile strength. Hence, we use collagen as a structural protein. Okay, just a little bit more on this collagen tangent. So there are many kinds of collagen, and different tissues express predominantly different types of collagen. Uh, unfortunately, this is just one of these facts that you need to know, at least for collagens type 1 through 4. But thankfully, there's a pretty gross mnemonic that helped me to remember some of these pairings. Strong, slippery, bloody BM, standing for bowel movement or basement membrane. So let's get started with the first part of the mnemonic, STRONG, for type 1 collagen. Uh, type 1 collagen is the most abundant collagen expressed in the body, and it's found in tissues that need to be tough and strong, like bone, tendon, skin, sclerae, and it's also used in the later stages of wound repair. Uh, genetic defects of type 1 collagen result in the genetic syndrome that's called osteogenesis imperfecta. So what's the classic exam finding that indicates osteogenesis imperfecta? So blue sclerae and a history of pathologic fractures. Uh, Golion explained the blue sclerae this way. Uh, because of the defect of type 1 collagen, the sclera is thin, and so you can see the underlying choroidal veins which appear blue, hence blue sclerae with osteogenesis imperfecta. Okay, and here we'll have our first transition to physio content with another one of their thought-provoking practice questions related to collagen and skeletal physiology. So now let's do a question to apply this. Osteoblasts in an 8-year-old male secrete type 1 collagen and hydroxyapatite as normal. However, the collagen is defective. What may occur in the bones as a result of the defective type 1 collagen? So the mineralization in this patient is normal which is the hydroxyapatite. Therefore, the patient would have very hard bones. However, the type 1 collagen forming the matrix throughout the bone would be very weak. And therefore, the bones would be very inflexible. In other words, the bones would be very brittle. Brittle bones would be very prone to fracture. So in fact, many patients with defective type 1 collagen break their bones very frequently, to the point that some clinicians are suspicious of child abuse, for example, in an 8-year-old male, like our patient. Now, this disease is known as osteogenesis imperfecta, or OI. Back to our mnemonic. So, strong for type 1 collagen. Now, let's discuss what we meant by slippery. So, type 2 collagen is found in slippery tissues like hyaline cartilage of our joints to reduce friction but it's also found in the vitreous humor jelly and in the nucleus pulposus. All of those tissues just sound slippery to me, so I think it helps. Okay, so strong type 1 collagen, slippery type 2 collagen. Now on to the next part of our mnemonic, bloody, for type 3 collagen. So type 3 collagen is found in bloody tissues like blood vessels, uterus, and granulation tissue. Now, what do we mean by granulation tissue? Well, it's the temporary connective tissue and blood vessels that form to heal a wound. And type 3 collagen, which is rapidly produced, serves as the primary initial structural protein supporting this tissue. Uh, type 3 collagen is later replaced by another type of collagen for a more permanent solution, and that is... The stronger type 1 collagen replaces type 3 collagen as the healing matures. I briefly alluded to this earlier. 
All right, so we've covered strong type 1, slippery type 2, bloody type 3, and now onto the last part of our mnemonic, BM, which has a double meaning of bowel movement, which is gross, uh, but also for basement membrane, which is more important for the mnemonic. Uh, so type 4 collagen is found in the BM, or basement membrane. Uh, one high-yield example that I've discussed in previous episodes is a type 2 hypersensitivity reaction that targets type 4 collagen in the basement membrane. Do you remember the name of that disease? It's good pastures, uh, which classically presents with hemoptysis and hematuria. Uh, there's another high-yield condition that involves type 4 collagen. Uh, can you think of a heritable syndrome that's caused by a genetic defect of type 4 collagen? Well, it's Alpore syndrome, uh, which can be inherited in a number of ways, most commonly X-linked, affecting men more severely than women. So what does Alpore syndrome classically present with? A triad of nephritic syndrome, sensory neural hearing loss, and impaired vision. Okay, so we've gone far enough with this tangent about collagen. Uh, let's summarize and move on. Uh, in bone, the osteoblasts are cells that produce type 1 collagen as a part of the strong extracellular osteoid matrix, uh, which will be mineralized with hydroxyapatite. Uh, we also discussed how collagen synthesis requires vitamin C for hydroxylation of proline and lysine, and then we took another tangent to discuss a mnemonic to remember the high-yield collagen types. Strong, slippery, bloody BM. All right, everybody. This is Greg from Inside the Boards, and I'd like to cut in here and give a quick shout-out to our sponsor for this episode, which is Physio. If you haven't figured this part out yet, we at Inside the Boards really do love what the guys at Physio are doing for the scene of medical education. Uh, first off, they produce this fantastic library of easy-to-consume videos, which cover everything you need to know about physiology for your classes and for the boards. But then they didn't stop there. They went on to produce two more libraries of rock-solid instruction for biochem and biostats, and their microbiology videos are currently in the works. So they're just super busy, and they're getting it done. But in creating new content, they didn't just like stay in their comfort zone with the old 15-minute long whiteboard-style video. No, 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 no. At Physio, they understand that while some topics are best learned by focusing on the underlying process, other topics will just require brute force memorization. So to meet the needs of their learners, the guys at Physio came up with a cool new hybridized learning style that includes both Pathoma-style whiteboard videos integrated together with sketchy-style picture mnemonics. And by seamlessly integrating these two tried-and-true teaching tools, Physio will help you to master med school. Make sure you stick around for the rest of the episode so that you can hear about the exclusive deal that we at ITB got for you, the listener. And now, back to the show. Okay, so the next step is to get back to our discussion of skeletal physiology by talking about mineralization of the osteoid that the osteoblast laid down. So when we say bone mineralization, what are we referring to? Well, we're talking about laying down hydroxyapatite crystals between the collagen fibrils and osteoid to harden the bone. And hydroxyapatite, as we said earlier, is a calcium phosphate crystal. So can you think of an enzyme that's important for the process of hydroxyapatite formation and bone mineralization? Well, it's alkaline phosphatase which cleaves phosphates off of molecules, including an inhibitor of mineralization known as pyrophosphate. So it basically disinhibits mineralization as a phosphatase, and this process works best in an alkaline environment, hence alkaline phosphatase. 
So I thought that this topic was going to be a lot more straightforward than it actually is. But on looking into it, mineralization is really complicated. Uh, there's much more to it than my simple summary there. Uh, so I'm just going to leave it there and say that alkaline phosphatase is produced by osteoblasts. It likes an alkaline environment, and it assists with osteoid mineralization. Uh, it's also important to remember that alkaline phosphatase, or ALP isoforms, are found elsewhere in the body, like in the hepatobiliary system. So elevated ALP levels are not always specific to the bone. So the osteoblasts produce bone proteins and alkaline phosphatase, which helps to catalyze the formation of hydroxyapatite to mineralize bone. Can you think of things that will increase the activity of osteoblasts to promote bone building? Well, mechanical stresses on the bone enhances their activity, and it does so in a pretty cool way, where the bone will remodel itself to adapt to the specific stresses that are applied to it, and this is referred to as Wolf's Law. So in addition to mechanical stress stimulating osteoblast activity, osteoblasts also have a number of receptors for different hormones. For example, androgens like testosterone will directly stimulate osteoblast activity. Other hormones, like PTH and estrogen, are a little more complicated, and we'll discuss them soon, but it's important to remember that generally, the osteoblasts are the ones that have the receptors for different hormones that dictate uh, skeletal remodeling, and it's usually the response of the osteoblast to these systemic hormones that will dictate the balance of osteoblast and osteoclast activity. So how does this interaction between osteoblasts and osteoclasts occur? Well, there's more to it than just this, but osteoblasts produce a very important cytokine known as rank ligand. And rank stands for receptor activator of nuclear factor kappa B, or NF kappa B. So NF kappa B is a very important transcription factor that generally promotes pro-inflammatory responses in cells. Osteoblasts also produce other pro-inflammatory cytokines like MCSF, IL-6, and IL-1, in addition to rank ligand. So why would pro-inflammatory cytokines like rank ligand or IL-1 be important for osteoclasts? Well, remember where these osteoclasts are derived from. They're derived from monocyte precursors in the bone marrow, which will fuse together to form the active multinucleated osteoclast. So osteoclasts are essentially glorified multinucleated macrophages. And before we talk more about how osteoclasts are regulated, let's talk about what their function actually is. So how is it that osteoclasts resorb bone? Well, their job is to settle on the surface of bone, seal themselves to that surface, and then claw away at the surface of the bone. So how is it that they claw away at the surface of the bone? Well, earlier we mentioned that an alkaline environment is required for hydroxyapatite crystals to form. So osteoclasts basically undo this by sitting on the surface of the bone and acidifying the microenvironment. And this will help to dissolve the hydroxyapatite crystals and it inhibits enzymes like ALP. So to do this, within their cytoplasm, osteoclasts have carbonic anhydrase, which produces acid. And then they use a proton pump on the surface to export these protons into the extracellular microenvironment that they created by sealing themselves on the surface of the bone. Pumping protons into this small space will acidify that microenvironment, which creates conditions that break down the hydroxyapatite, thus demineralizing that area of bone. Uh, additionally, osteoclasts will secrete acid proteases into the microenvironment. So what will these acid proteases do? Well, these are proteases that work well in an acidic environment, 
and they'll basically cut up those extracellular proteins like collagen in the osteoid along the bone surface. So the osteoclasts are breaking down the main components of the bony extracellular matrix, both hydroxyapatite and osteoid proteins. So anyways, let's uh, regroup here. Back to talking about rank ligand, osteoclasts, and osteoblasts. So which cells produce the rank ligand again? It's the osteoblasts that produce the rank ligand, which is like pressing the gas for the osteoclasts, uh, enhancing their function. But interestingly, osteoblasts also produce another protein called osteoprotagorin, or OPG. So what does OPG do? Well, OPG is a soluble rank ligand receptor, so it soaks up the extracellular rank ligand, preventing the activation of osteoclasts. Okay, so rank ligand is like the gas, while OPG is like the brakes, and the osteoblasts produce both of these proteins, i.e. they control the gas and the brakes for osteoclast function. So different hormones will alter the release of rank ligand and OPG from osteoblasts either promoting net building, i.e. the balance leans towards OPG instead of rank ligand, or promoting net reabsorption, i.e. the balance leans towards rank ligand instead of OPG. And this balance between rank ligand and OPG regulating osteoclast function is a key concept to get here. Now let's run through a few examples of hormones that dictate the balance of rank ligand and OPG. Parathyroid hormone, uh, or PTH, vitamin D, estrogen, and cortisol are all examples that we'll cover. So starting with PTH, uh, how would you expect PTH to affect the balance of rank ligand and OPG? Well, remember that PTH helps to raise blood calcium, so you would expect it to increase rank ligand relative to OPG. Uh, by increasing rank ligand release from osteoblasts, you will increase the activity of osteoclasts and resorb bone and raise blood calcium. Okay, next example, vitamin D. So how would you expect vitamin D to affect the rank ligand to OPG balance? So vitamin D basically tips the scales in favor of bone resorption by increasing the ratio of rank ligand to OPG. So vitamin D can help to raise blood calcium by breaking down bone. However, vitamin D is complicated because it also promotes calcium and phosphate absorption from the GI tract, which supplies important substrate for bone building. So most people say that vitamin D really has a net beneficial effect for bone remodeling, rather than the binary choice of building up or breaking down bone. For example, when we're vitamin D deficient, we're predisposed to low bone mineral density and fracture. And I'd like to take us down this tangent for just a second. So what do we call vitamin D deficiency in children? Well, we call it rickets, and in adults we call vitamin D deficiency osteomalacia. So rickets, or vitamin D deficiency in children, results in impaired mineralization and abnormal osteoid production. And this is particularly problematic because the growth plates haven't fully formed yet in children. So impaired mineralization at the growth plate results in bone deformities, particularly in the load-bearing areas of the lower extremities. Hence, you can see things like bowing of the legs. Uh, you can also see other deformities in rickets uh, related to abnormal mineralization and osteoid formation like the rachitic rosary of the ribs and frontal bossing. Okay, so we've discussed how PTH and vitamin D both promote a higher rank ligand to OPG ratio, which favors osteoclastic bone resorption over bone building. Um, our next example is estrogen. 
So how does estrogen affect the rank ligand to OPG balance? Well, estrogen tips the scales in favor of OPG and therefore inhibits bone resorption, favoring bone building. Hence, we say that estrogen is bone protective. Uh, estrogen promotes the release of OPG from osteoblasts, so this will deprive the osteoclasts of their rank ligand, promoting positive bone balance. Okay, so we've covered PTH, vitamin D, and estrogen. And our next example is glucocorticoids, like cortisol. So how will cortisol affect the rank ligand to OPG balance? Well, glucocorticoids, like cortisol, promote rank ligand production, and at the same time inhibit OPG production. So this will favor net bone resorption and negative bone balance. And this is actually one of the reasons that doctors caution against long-term utilization of glucocorticoids, unless it's absolutely necessary, because they predispose to net negative bone balance and osteoporosis. Okay, so in this section, we've established that the balance of osteoblastic versus osteoclastic activity determines bone balance, and we've discussed how the production of rank ligand versus OPG by the osteoblasts will determine the osteoclast activity, and we covered some specific examples like PTH, vitamin D, estrogen, and glucocorticoids. Okay, guys, and it's that time again for another quick plug for our sponsor. Basically, all I want to say with this one is go get a subscription to Physio. They will help you to demolish step one with their high-quality and cohesive conceptual videos, which are similar to the Pathoma whiteboard style, but these are also integrated with story-based mnemonic paintings similar to the sketchy style, so you can master all of the hardest stuff that you need to know to crush step one. Oh, and did I mention that a subscription to Physio also gets you access to their thorough yet concise textbook too? What this means for you is that when you're using Physio, you don't need to furiously take notes. It's all written down for you, so you can just go with the flow of the videos and reference the textbook later as needed. They really are doing great work over at Physio, so go check them out. In a few minutes, in the next and last advertisement for this episode, we'll reveal our exclusive discount code for you, but for now, let's get back to it. Advertisement 3. Okay, and the time has arrived for the big reveal that was promised. For ITB listeners, we were able to secure you a limited time 25% discount if you enter the code ITB25, as in 25%, at checkout. This code is good for 25% off your physio subscription, but it's only valid for one month from the time that this episode airs. So again, that's ITB25 for an exclusive 25% discount on a physio subscription from yours truly at Inside the Boards. All right, and now I'll let the guys from physio take it away for the rest of the episode. Now let's do another question. Let's say a 55-year-old female patient has not had a menstrual period in five years. Her clinician informs her that she has an increased risk for osteoporosis. Now, why is that? So, this patient is 55 years old, and she's female, and she hasn't had a menstrual period in five years. This is the classic backdrop for menopause. Now, being in menopause, why might she be at increased risk for osteoporosis? Well, what is important to know about menopause in this context is to understand that it will cause decreased levels of estrogen. Recall that estrogen will act on osteoblasts to increase their release of OPG. 
OPG normally inhibits osteoclasts, and this means that osteoclast activity would actually be increased. And this would lead to increased resorption, leading to osteoporosis, meaning porous bones. And I'll ask you one more question. With decreased osteoprotegrin levels, what would happen to the level of free rank ligand? So recall that osteoblasts secrete both rank ligand and OPG. OPG normally binds to rank ligand, preventing it from interacting with osteoclasts. Our patient has decreased levels of OPG, which means that there will be an increase in the level of free rank ligand. And this answers our question. Low OPG means high free rank ligand. Lastly, we want to briefly discuss the factors contributing to bone density. In general terms, think of bone density as being determined by the osteoclast to osteoblast activity ratio. And know that with age, there will be increased bone loss. This means that the ratio would be high. Also know that gender plays an important role and that women are more prone to bone loss. And menopause is a significant part of this. It's also important to know that ethnicity or race can play a role in bone density. For example, African Americans tend to have increased bone density. And lastly, genetics, as with many other functions in the body, can play a role in bone density. And guess what? That's it for this episode of Physiology by Physio. So thanks for listening and learning. Now go live it up.